Hello, and welcome to the Forest of the Fae. Here on Pop Culture Fae, we take a look at movies, TV, comics, and other popular media through the lens of the queer folks of society. I am Miller C. Lashbrook, and I am your host on your journey through the Forest of the Fae. This week on Pop Culture Fae, I am inviting my fiancé, Zach Marion, and one of my good friends, Michelle Rojas, to discuss our thoughts on the Marvel special presentation, Werewolf by Night, and the new Hulu Hellraiser movie. I hope you enjoy. Alrighty, this is Faye News. In this segment, I will cover this week's big entertainment news that caught my eye. So first up in MCU news, we got a brand new official trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I don't know if this trailer hit as emotionally as the first one did as the uh, Comic-Con trailer, but this trailer definitely shows off a lot of cool shots. It gave us a little bit more on Namor, specifically seeing him in action with his uh, winged feet, which look really cool. And it did show us a full reveal of the new Black Panther suit, who, because of the reveal, we can pretty safely say that it is Shuri because we have the same kind of dots that she put on her face in the first movie and is shown having on her face in this trailer. Also in MCU news, Emma Caulfield is set to return as Dottie in Agatha Coven of Chaos. So I uh, that is definitely confirmation that Westview is going to be involved somehow in the story. I mean, we know that Agatha is trapped as Agnes in Westview right now. So it'll be interesting to see how much she interacts with the with the neighborhood. Could we get Dottie becoming a witch in her coven? Who knows? And then lastly in MCU news, we of course got She-Hulk episode 8 this week with the return of Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. This episode is fantastic. I think it's probably my favorite episode of the show so far. Uh, just because the the writing and directing is on point and the chemistry between Charlie Cox and Tatiana Maslany is just there. In Star Wars news, we got Andor episode 5 this week. In movie news, there was a new trailer for the Super Mario Bros. movie coming from Nintendo and Illumination Entertainment. Visually, this movie looks absolutely stunning. But I just, I don't know. There's something about Chris Pratt as Mario that I, that I don't like. Uh, it's, his voice just doesn't fit the character. I understand not wanting to do the stereotypical like Italian-American accent that Mario usually has. But I just don't know if Chris Pratt's voice is the alternative here. 
because it's it's not Chris Pratt doing voice acting. It's just Chris Pratt's voice. So we we shall see um, how how it turns out. But I visually it's stunning, and so that alone will get me to go see this movie. Uh, we also got a Teen Wolf movie trailer, which was kind of like a little clip, a little scene between. Derek Hale and Allison Argent, who is returning in this movie. And it looks like another episode of the show. So, I mean, that's a good thing because it feels the same as the show. But also, I don't know if that's... It it might mean this is essentially just an extended um, episode of the show, not... um, a big grand movie, if you will. In TV news, we got House of the Dragon, Episode 7. Also, um, Velma, the character from Scooby-Doo, was confirmed to be um, queer in the new Scooby-Doo movie, so that was cool. Uh, and then also related to Velma, posters, trailers, a trailer, and the cast list for her upcoming adult animated series Velma on HBO Max. Uh, Those were all started to get revealed this week. And Mindy Kaling will be writing and she will also be lending her voice to the titular character. Uh, So it definitely looks uh, interesting, quite the interesting cast. And uh, yeah, I I think that's definitely something to watch. That could be a cool show. In gaming news for Pokemon, we got a new Scarlet and Violet trailer that focused a lot on gameplay. The Pokemon Ferrig Giraffe, the new evolution for Giraffarig, was revealed. Also, there were a lot of kind of little reveals in the background in this trailer that fans are not quite sure if it was intentional or not. Uh, But there's kind of a lot to unpack from that trailer for fans uh, to get excited for. I think the game looks like it's going to be really cool. Just having a full open world Pokemon game is going to be really awesome. Also in gaming news, Overwatch 2 launched on last Tuesday, but uh, I say launched loosely because there were so many issues uh, their servers got bomb, like um, basically crashed because they were being overloaded. The login was asking people to confirm information that they didn't have to have on their Battle.net accounts, uh, and so it was it was a messy week for Overwatch Two, uh, for sure. But uh, I hope to get in and play some of the game here soon. I have not so far because uh, I did want to talk about it on here because I do like that game. So as soon as I am able to get in and have time to play uh, a good amount, I will be. I will talk about my thoughts. Uh, probably, probably I'll do a written post on the blog and talk a little bit on here. So that completes all of the Faye news for this week. Next up, our weekly topics.
Hello, I am here uh, with Zach and Marion and <laughs> Michelle Rojas, a new friend of the podcast, hey. uh, to discuss the new Marvel Halloween special, Werewolf by Night. Now, this is going to be a little different from other discussions because we literally just watched it. So this is our initial reaction more than it is kind of coherent analysis <laughs> thoughts. yeah, yeah. Um, but i i thought that with everything coming out right now this would be this would be the appropriate way to approach this and hellraiser which we're going to watch right after this uh so yeah i i guess i'll i can start off i really liked that i'm i'm such a horror novice though so i feel mm. like i'm not the right person to uh, to talk about the horror elements of it, but I mean, over the past like four years, while Zach and I have been together, I've become more and more of a horror fan, especially each like Halloween, each October. Um, I and I like good camp horror, and I feel like that was playing into the campy side of horror. Yeah, it was definitely leaning into um, the campiness of classic horror, like the classic universal monsters mm -hmm. it definitely had all of those elements which is funny because it's disney <laughs> <laughs> um but they def they absolutely made allusions to all of the different universal monsters in that yeah i know you were like taking notes i was taking the... notes. yeah <laughs> with like noticing things yeah i yeah as a fan of both i guess i'm the weird overlap here i love horror and marvel uh so as a fan of both worlds um I, I think this was a, a great mashup, uh, I said a couple minutes ago, but uh, I think this is the horror Marvel mashup that I was hoping for when Multiverse of Madness came out. Uh, I think that was a, a step in the right direction, but I think this uh, this really scratched that itch for me. So I definitely think they could get a, they were able to get away with like a, a lot. lot more with it being black and white. Yes, definitely the the blood. Like having it black and white is a, a trick that they have used in Hollywood for a long time. Uh, <laughs> changing the color of the blood, uh, the example that, or changing the entire color of the movie. The example I'm thinking of is Kill Bill, uh, where in Kill Bill Volume One they had to shoot an entire scene in black and white just so that the film wouldn't get an NC-17 or X rating. Uh, so. Um, I think they, they used that to their advantage here uh, by having it be black and white. It was atmospheric and we got to have plenty of blood. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised because I am a Marvel novice. So <laughs> I have seen, I can count on my hand the amount of Marvel movies I've seen since um, Spider-Man came. Is Spider-Man Marvel? Yes. Okay. See, that's how little about Marvel I know. So I can count on my hand how many Marvel movies I've seen since the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies came out. But I'm a horror um, enthusiast. I study horror. I watch horror several times a week. And I did really like those like classic horror elements. Um, I was pleasantly surprised because I wasn't sure what I was going to get into. Um, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was really cool. Yeah, listeners, I specifically asked Michelle to be on this episode because uh, 
you I think you are the biggest horror nerd that I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, that's a saying something. I'm a huge horror yeah. nerd, and for me to yeah, I I doff <laughs> my cap to you. Yes, you you are definitely a bigger expert than me. How many horror tattoos do you have? All of them. <laughs> All of them are literary horror specifically. Well, most of them. Um, so like my this sleeve is like horror lit. This is like a mashup of a final girl over here. And then I've got like a little, you know, stabby knife for Halloween and <laughs> all the, that good stuff. But yeah, um, horror is definitely my forte. And I think that especially as someone who's a lover of film and and considers themselves a huge, huge feminist, horror is the the genre, in my opinion, that has the best representation. I'm, so, I'm going to get you for this. Oh, but yeah. The best representation of women, um, specifically because they typically have a protagonist who is a female. Yeah, there were female protagonists in horror movies way before there were female protagonists in a lot of other yeah. genres. It was like horror and romance were the two genres that mm -hmm. were really led by women before like action and sci-fi and fantasy right. were led by women. And yeah. a lot of horror movies pass the Bechdel test when things like rom-coms don't. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Because usually the women in the rom-coms are talking about, talking men. about men. Yeah. yeah. I, which I think it's perfect that like you, Zach, you're going to be like our middle ground person mm -hmm. between the Marvel and the horror. And I like was noticed, you were noticing the horror like Easter eggs and yes. I was like noticing like the Marvel comics. And then Easter I was eggs. just geeking up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were noticing the score. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love, I've been a fan of Chikino for yeah, know, years. So you can tell that the same person directed and scored that. Yeah. Like Which the way his directorial you, debut. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. And you could feel like the shots and the score mm -hmm. was like so in sync. It most was cohesive. Of that time. Very yeah. cohesive. Yeah. And even like the story, there were multiple moments like with the with the, the the flaming sousaphone yes. or like the ticking of the bomb where sound was part of the story mm -hmm. in like a it played with diegetic and non-diegetic and diegetic i was gonna sound. say on yeah. that same note the specifically there were two scenes that used the uh records and music being played mm -hmm. uh very effectively so mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. that's a classic horror element you see that all the time and there was um one particular hold on i have to pull up my notes there was one <laughs> particular scene um okay that i just I wanted to explode with geekiness because when they first are introduced to the maze and um, what is his name? Oh, by night. Spoilers, by the way. I oh guess my we, gosh, I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I meant to say that at the beginning. Yeah, this is going to be a complete spoiler discussion of both Werewolf by Night mm -hmm. and Hellraiser. So, yeah. yeah. The new Hellraiser. Yes, yeah. the new 2022 the Jamie Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yeah. Yes. So, um, in the scene where they're walking into the maze where werewolf by night that's his name right yep yeah where he's yeah. walking into the maze um first of all the maze to me was just like this is the shining yep i i thought this and the music walking into the maze was very very similar to the music they play in the shining when that horn jack is, yes yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i was like oh this is so good <laughs> the the maze reminded me of the shining but it also because we watched it last night it reminded me of how mm -hmm. they visualize hell in oh, Hellraiser too. Yeah, in yeah. Hellraiser too. I was like, "This is weird" because we watched this last night. Yeah. The, but yeah, it was, and and then Labyrinth was yes, also the yeah, other thing that yeah. it reminded me of. Um, which, like, was it Zach? You noted that 
they had a hunter who was like very David Bowie yes. looking. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Very like androgynous. Yeah. 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 But continue. So, oh, no, yeah. that's what I was going to say is that I did notice like I'm not a musician, so I don't have a, a music for or an ear for music, but I did recognize that it wasn't the exact score from The Shining, but they I think they were definitely trying to recall that scene where Jack is chasing Wendy down in the maze. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, the the lighting, I want to say, like, some of the, the lighting choices, uh, I'm going to say, reminded me of one of my favorite horror films, um, House on Haunted Hill. Oh, uh, yes. The Vincent Price like, classic mm -hmm. um, that I think does such a great job of using light and dark to make things even more terrifying but mm -hmm. my favorite scene was just simple hallway with like a garage door essentially like coming down slowly mm -hmm. as the only source of light and just seeing it go down slowly and the light from it slowly disappearing as werewolf by night is ripping people apart in front of it well and also like a slow dolly shot yeah. too mm -hmm. with the camera just closing in on that door closing yep. mm -hmm. yeah so it was such an effective scene yeah it was great i it's interesting you mention house on Haunted hill because the vincent price movie i thought of was mask of the red death oh, mask of the red death is in yeah. color but the way that the color is like really opaque in mask of the red mm -hmm. death the way they used like very sharp shadows in mm -hmm. this reminded me of that, like when you you could see Jack's silhouette on the wall oh, that was as he scene. was transforming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like obviously it's a we have a TV special here, uh, so we have a budget that's probably a lot less than like a movie, right? But it's still Disney. But like, <laughs> what an effective way to show the transformation. Mm -hmm without like needing to do all this CGI, like a classic yeah, horror, nice. horror trick. I, I, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, when they, when I realized he was a vampire, or not a vampire, uh, a werewolf, werewolf. <laughs> cause this entire time I was like, oh, well, I wonder what kind of monster he is, Did not realizing what the title of the special <laughs> was. Um, but when they announced that and I realized that he was going to have a transformation scene, I instantly thought, oh, are they going to do the, do this like a um, American werewolf in London? Because that, that transformation is like, it's cinematic iconic. history yeah. yeah and so i i was curious to see if they're going to try and imitate that i'm glad that they didn't though because mm -hmm. i think that you're right they use the light so effectively in that scene the shadows and it was great i want to take that moment actually specifically uh when he was transforming so much of it took place off screen but uh laura donnelly the actress who plays elsa, elsa her acting, so, her sold acting, it. yeah. Like we, as our POV character, and all we could go by was the look on her face. Mm -hmm. Like the face acting in that scene specifically was fantastic. What so. I liked about that, uh, about her acting in that scene, was it was so reminiscent of classic Hollywood horror, because it was just all about the face, about how shocked you were, about yeah. your hand, your gesticulations, and stuff like that, because um, you had to sell it with your face. And that was, that was pretty awesome. It was very, like, um, it reminded me, this movie reminded me a lot of uh, Frankenstein. The mm. OG Frankenstein, especially mm -hmm. the storyline with Man-Thing. Yeah. Um, so I like that they included those. With him being, like, a misunderstood monster. monster. Yeah. yeah. Yes. The, 
the way that the CG artists like used his pupils yeah. specifically to like make you, you instantly we were just like oh <laughs> like I was like this adorable little yeah. monster I don't want him to get hurt like yeah. it was they animated his pupils mm-hmm. dilating at one point and he was just like a little puppy dog mm-hmm. with it his was eyes. when she said his name when he said Ted. when she said Ted, Ted. Yeah. yeah 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 you know what else about man thing too was um it wasn't too much CGI I think towards the end when they were like at the camp scene there was a moment where I was like, is this CGI or is this someone in like a costume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or was it a little bit of both? I don't know. Because it really looked like, um, you so know, how an alien is someone in a costume? With like the the mushrooms yeah. and everything on him. And yeah. just the movement when, when he was sitting next to World by Night. I guess his name's Jack, right? Jack. Jack. His name is Jack Russell. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> they never adorable. said his last name in the movie, okay. but... When Jack is sitting next to him, but they're focusing on Jack and you really only see like Man-Thing's elbow, mm-hmm. I was like, is that CGI or is that a costume? Because it looked so real. Like like yeah. the way Jurassic Park was filmed or Alien even. The With, way they, like, yeah. The animatronics and yeah. like suits and I stuff. Was, yeah. That was really good because I think I'm used to seeing a lot of like CGI in like Disney films. Yeah. That I was pleasantly surprised at how well they executed that particular character. Yeah. I also was pleasantly surprised when it shifted out of black and white during that scene, obviously using somewhere over the rainbow mm-hmm. to echo the the black and white to color shift in Wizard yeah. of Oz. But uh, I w- won't lie, I was a little afraid that once it went to color that maybe Man-Thing would look kind of ridiculous, but I think yeah. he actually... The CGI, it, it did look really good, mm-hmm. uh, even after they and made him bright green with the big red eyes and everything. Mm-hmm. I really liked the choice to color isolate the bloodstone, mm-hmm. like throughout the movie, mm-hmm. have it like be red. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of uh, Sin City. Sin City did yeah. an amazing job with the using, blood. Yep. Yeah. I was thinking of Schindler's List when I saw that, <laughs> when they but, highlight yep. the little girl in the red coat. The, Very I, different feel, I, but yeah. for <laughs> the Marvel fan in me, it made me think of WandaVision. And WandaVision mm-hmm. used like TV as its main like language and like mm-hmm. classic TV shows. And so the moment at the end where the bloodstone was like the 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 start of the color coming back into yep. things, it was like but it was beautiful. But it was also the horror trope of like the night was over, mm-hmm. right? And and so we could finally breathe as mm-hmm. like an audience. And uh Elsa's like most iconic part of her look in the comics, she has like two things that she's like known for. One of them is a giant giant ass red ponytail, redhead ponytail, which she didn't have in here. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is an orange coat. And mm-hmm. so the fact that the color came back and you could see that her coat the whole time she had been wearing was orange. I was just oh, like, that's cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely like yeah. one of those little Easter eggs you notice if you're like one of the I, Yeah, writers. I wouldn't have got that. Yeah. yeah. The all, there was a shotgun. I had to mention this. There was a shotgun right next to her, and she didn't pick it up. And that's her I, main I, weapon I, in comics. Really? Yeah. Yes, I, I huh. knew that. And I, there, we saw several shotguns throughout, uh, including the one on her dad's On her casket. dad's casket. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I kept yeah. expecting her to, to rip off of the casket at some point. And use it, and, yeah. yeah. That's just yeah. So that, that was a missed her, opportunity. Her look is 
like long orange trench coat, giant redhead ponytail, and a shotgun that she wields with one hand and cocks it with one with one hand usually. Okay. Yeah. She, <laughs> which I'd seen in interviews with Laura Donnelly before this that she talked about like they wanted to they want to show Elsa's growth as a character they didn't want her to be right away like a oh, uh, quote like mary sense. sue type so character they plan and so, on fleshing her out yeah okay and so i could but i can see her evolving into her comic book character which i like because um laura donnelly specifically the other show that we watch with her and it the never is uh, her character in yes, that's right. You she just was put that together, didn't uh, you? So, yes, yeah, uh, it's true. And uh, her character on that show is like the kind of leader. She's this very tough woman who has like her shit together, uh, and is very rarely like surprised by things. Uh, so it it was good to like see her in a more i guess vulnerable, vulnerable place mm-hmm. yeah and i want to see i think there's a lot of room for this character to grow into the strong independent like got my shit together woman that i know she can play in like other roles so i think yeah so she has a lot of room to yeah really take this role and go with it yeah Every- did you cover all your little Easter eggs that you There caught? was. Let me see. Um, I thought you were, I, I was waiting for you to mention the Nosferatu shadow. Okay, yeah, I did. Okay. I, I wrote Nosferatu <laughs> okay. shadow in there. Because I noticed that Um. One. Yeah. I, gosh, I can't remember now which scene it was, but they were def- there was a, oh, it was in the maze. Yeah. When they were in the maze, and I can't remember which character it was, was rounding a corner, and you just see the shadow of, like, their hands. Their hands. And that was definitely reminiscent yeah. of Nosferatu, that scene where he's winding up the staircase. Um, and then I wrote something else. Um, uh, there's There were a couple uh, uh, hints of, like, the mummy in there. Like, they had hieroglyphics, right? Yeah. They had hieroglyphics in the house. And then something that, like, made me giggle internally was... Um, I forgot the woman's name, but the woman who had been married to Mr. Oh, Bloodstone. like her stepmother, I yeah, guess? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Bloodstone. Actually, I don't know if I ever said her name. Um, well, the stepmom is, like, standing behind the coffin, right? And she's talking about her husband, how much she loves him. And then the camera pans around behind the coffin. And you can see behind the coffin that it says it this says, side like, up. This side up. This side yeah. up. And that also reminded me of The Mummy. Because I think in The Mummy, there are a couple scenes where they're, like, you know, shipping the the Egyptian the, artifacts. Yeah. And it has, like, this side mm-hmm. up. And I was like, oh, that is so, that's like The Mummy. Yeah. 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 And there was another thing. And I, I cannot, I'm not sure if I'm correct on this one. But there is a painting that they kind of spotlighted at the very, very beginning. And it was a painting of what appeared to be, like, a monster hunter with like a big monster coming out of clouds, but there's hmm. a really famous famous painting of Jesus, huh? Fighting Lucifer or like an angel? I think no, it's an angel or maybe Lucifer Michael? or something. It, maybe I think the. Um, Do you uh, know what I'm talking about? Da Vinci about? has a, a very famous painting of the archangel. I believe it's Da Vinci's painting of the archangel Michael. Okay, with the the flaming, with uh, the, he has like a flaming sword. Okay, Michael and the flaming sword. <laughs> because I saw that and I was like, that's a really famous Renaissance painting. The, so you, you brought up the painting, the thing that I noticed in the beginning, um, the hall that her stepmother greeted her in, uh, the like carvings on the wall behind them, mm-hmm. it looked like 
a monster hunter hunting the comic book version of Gore the God Butcher. Did you notice that? No. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, which you have no idea. Yeah, I'm like, what? Gore is one of my favorite. But it was specifically, like, with the two, like, tendrils coming off the back of his head, which he doesn't have in In, the movie, in Thor Love and Thunder. I respect the choice not to put prosthetics on. To make him look uh, like a Twi'lek, yeah. But yeah, I so I thought that was interesting, and it was Norse looking too. Mm-hmm. I see. I can't yeah. find the name of this painting, but I'm sure I'll find it eventually. But um, I, I I remember seeing what you're talking mm-hmm. about. It I was, was like, like oh, it looked like a very something. like romantic era. Yeah. Painting. I'm yeah. Trying to look it up and I can't. Um, but yeah, that's. Did you have any last minute thoughts? I or? really, lo- I just. Love the uh, not to be a Marvel simp or an MCU like <laughs> uh, simp, but I love the the Disney Plus shows offer an outlet for them to take these creative choices and take these chances because I don't think they like what we got with this special is something that they would have necessarily bankrolled for like a theatrical release. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that having this platform where they can do these one-off specials uh, and, you know, they, they still add something to the greater story of the MCU. And I'm sure that we will see these characters uh, elsewhere, but it gives them an opportunity to introduce them rather than having them pop up in a movie mm-hmm. in somebody else's movie as their first yeah. like outing we get you know we get them on their own yeah so, yeah it's yeah, like low risk give me, and... give me more yeah i think one of the things especially in like the years like phase three like leading up to avengers infinity war and endgame there are a lot of people like on the fringes of being marvel fans or who aren't marvel fans who would just complain about like them all feeling the same, like all the movies feeling the same. Yeah. And now they're giving us content that is different genres. Like She-Hulk is a legal comedy yep. first before a superhero show. And this Werewolf by Night was like horror. a campy, campy like a campy horror, like TV movie mm-hmm. before it was a superhero project. And I, I don't know. I'm I'm happy with that because like comics are like that too. Mm-hmm. Like like not every comic is a Spider-Man story, mm-hmm. and so I'm all about like letting the Marvel movies be as diverse as the comic stories mm-hmm. are. Yeah, I think it incentivizes people like myself who aren't like really well versed in the Marvel, like the MCU. Um, it incentivizes me to get attached to these characters because now I really like this Jack Russell guy. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I want to see more of him. He's so cute. So I feel like hadn't, I had, if I I hadn't seen this, I wouldn't, you know, care to see a movie maybe that came out with him in it. But now you might consider it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, can we just take a second to talk about how like handsome and like, zaddy attractive gael garcia so uh, is yeah he's, he's like an adorable, adorable man yeah. yeah i'm like i just want to like like hug him yeah. like <laughs> he's so so cute yeah i think they did a good job picking him is mm-hmm. he in the the star wars movies i feel like i saw him or was it someone else 
Nope. I don't I know think he's in Diego any Luna of the was, okay, Star so he, Wars. Okay, so he was in Coco, but he wasn't in. Okay, because yeah. I know that Disney tends to like reuse their actors a lot. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if Coco was the only thing that he was in. Yeah, I would have to look at his IMDb page. Mm -hmm. What does it say? Do you have it up? Um, what? Research department. <laughs> <laughs> we have Werewolf by Night. Uh, he was Zorro. Oh. In what movie was he? He was an old. Okay. Coco. Coco. Motorcycle Diaries. Okay. Bad okay. Letters to Juliet. I don't see any. I feel like. If he had been in the Star, Star Wars, Wars movie, like it would have popped up. Maybe yeah. get him in one in the future. Yeah, maybe. So, any any last minute thoughts that anybody wanted to bring up? Did a good no? job. Yeah. So we're gonna take a break, and we are going to watch the new Hellraiser. Feel free to watch it yourself. Yes. And then come back and join us. Uh, but you will hear an ad from. Uh, one of my sponsors, and then we'll be back to discuss Hellraiser. Okay, we are back from uh, that short break. Two hours <laughs> later. Two hour break, yeah. Yes, uh, to discuss the new Hulu Hellraiser. So I I started the, the Marvel-related com conversation... Um, I think one of the horror people should start this one. What did, especially you, you guys have seen more of the Hellraiser movies mm. than I have. Not in a long time. Yeah. So. I recently rewatched the second one a few months ago and I've seen the original fairly recently too. Um, I, but I did watch a documentary on Hellraiser, hmm. um, a few weeks ago that was on Shudder. And that was pretty good. And I had gotten a lot of information on some of the lesser known Hellraiser films that I'd never seen before. I didn't even know existed, to be honest, because I thought they were like bunch. 12. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like I, I got to brush up a little bit. Um, I liked this one. It was, I went into this movie somewhat blind because I, I saw like the teaser trailers, but I didn't want to read too much about it so that I could have like a really good experience. Yeah, you wanted as like little expectations yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah, and I did enjoy it. I was thinking it was going to be kind of a, a remake of the original, and it wasn't mm -hmm. at all. It was like a whole new take, a very modern um, version of Hellraiser. I like this pinhead. I love Jamie Clayton because that character, that style of pinhead is, is canon to the story. Um, held on heart because pinhead is supposed to be androgynous, androgynous. Yeah. yeah i think a woman but like an androgynous woman mm -hmm. um so that was really cool i thought i thought jamie clinton was a great pick for that um and i liked the idea like the symbolism the metaphor in this film because there was a lot of chains um and there are chains in like the first one but i think that they were more emphasized in this one yeah and i think especially because the the protagonist in this film is an addict. Yeah. And I think it's really supposed to represent how um, addiction really like chains you down and binds you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. We were talking, um, cause we watched Zach and I watched the second one last night, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> so like very fresh. Mm -hmm. And we had a conversation about the meaning of the word hellbound mm -hmm. in both like the title of the original like short story mm -hmm. or, or novella novella 
uh, and also in the title of the second film. And the I think in the second film, for me, Hellbound was more talking about like heading toward hell, mm -hmm. like the like traveling to hell. Mm -hmm. But I think I in this, it, and I think in here for sure we can see the like the heart being, being bound, bound to, to hell. hell. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and like you're talking about with addiction, like how it binds people. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely different from how the first one like vices i think yes not that like addicts are vices but the like sex is the big vice in yes, the, the first, first. film mm -hmm. spe specifically but also in the second one it, it mm -hmm. like definitely comes up and so to have addiction be the main vice that is being dealt with is a really interesting like way to take i think it's also story. it's very modern too like it's very of this time and what in what's going on you know socially yeah um and i think that i liked that she was an like a sympathetic character because in the original film you see these two characters who are very selfish and only care about one another Mm -hmm. and are doing the things that they're doing for um their own purposes but in this one you see her doing what she's doing to save her brother because she recognizes that her brother has done a lot for her yeah and it's just it's sad you know because ultimately yeah. that's what does ha that's what happens to addicts you know you you lose family members to your addiction because um you can't control it you know so. yeah and the beginning is like was like really hard to watch because they frame they they framed both of the characters so well mm -hmm. in this where on one hand you were like okay dude like you're not gonna go anywhere with her like like talking to her like this and mm -hmm. treating her like this like that's not how you help addicts mm -hmm. but then also like from from his perspective mm -hmm. you were also getting that like she wasn't really helping herself mm -hmm. or being really respecting the fact that he was trying to help her. Right. Like he's yeah. at the end of his tether. Yeah. Because he, you know, was exhausted by being her caretaker. And it makes the ending like bittersweet that she, I guess made the, like she did make the right choice. Right. So mm -hmm. let's talk about the ending. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because I love the the fact that there are these uh, puzzle boxes all over the place, mm -hmm. and we see them throughout. And in the original movie, at the beginning, when we see it for the first time, and canonically, it's the lament configuration, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. how it ends this movie, mm -hmm. which is the big like uh, ending. Is that she chooses the lament configuration and chooses not to bring her brother back. But I also like that for me, I don't I don't know about you guys, but I was expecting the whole time uh, I kept expecting Riley to have to make like the final ultimate sacrifice and like sacrifice himself herself to in, bring yeah, back to bring her back brother, the brother. And yeah, so I was happy that that's not the route we went. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, stab the douchebag like yeah. guy that's been manipulating you the whole time and everything mm -hmm. but yeah so i think that i like that ending and the i guess kind of final girl trope ish mm -hmm. but i think a much better version of it 
I think definitely like a more uh, evolved version. Yeah. She's not so one dimensional. I think sometimes we see these very tropey final girls, you know, like yeah. they, mm-hmm. they um, check off all the boxes of what a, a final girl should be. But at the end of the day, the like, tropey final girls arc is just survival really exactly. right but for but there's actual character yep. growth mm-hmm. for riley here right. but i think ultimately the point is i think as penhead says like the the choice not to bring her brother back means that she's gonna have to live with that that's the ultimate like in penhead's opinion clearly that is like out of the seven choices or whatever, like that is the the stupid one, the worst, the worst choice. one. Like, why the hell would you ever do that? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, she tells her you you've chosen the lament configuration, and now you have to live with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in that notebook, lament was written right next to life. They mm-hmm. they were both the same configuration. Mm-hmm. So, like, she gets to live and live her life, but she is going to have to lament the fact that she's lost her brother. Yeah, carry, yeah. carry the weight of, of what she's done or Yeah, know, or, or rather didn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Trying to think of, like, anything else I noticed in that movie. I think um, whoever was the location scout for this movie mm-hmm. and found that house, I don't the know how much is, of yeah. that house was set in, like, an actual location, mm-hmm. but the... I mean, like sacred geometry is all in like like the puzzle boxes mm-hmm. and everything like from the beginning of the series. But the house specifically, like I I said at one point, like it's like it looked like a giant puzzle box. And we and for we, those of you who might be horror fan, fans, we I think the the movie Thirteen Ghosts came up multiple times when we were watching mm-hmm. it. We compared it like the way the house was a giant puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and having the physical space reflect the like the main object of the film and also like the human soul is a puzzle that it needs that it, it's really hard to like figure out and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it all thematically ties really well together. Yeah. Yeah. They did a great job. And then more stylistically, I I really enjoyed the um like the effects, the yeah. makeup. Yeah. I, you know, Hellraiser is so iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, that like really, but like having their eighties like BDSM. But having their bondage gear be their skin is yeah. such an interesting mm-hmm. choice. I think for me, uh, stylistically, the thing that I liked the most was uh, there's the iconic Hellraiser like. Uh, set pieces like the the walls coming out yes. and moving mm-hmm. or the the stretching hallways and stuff and that's in the like old 80s movies that was all done practically, practically. and you I can think tell here that it was done here practically it was a lot, as well so yeah too. they or if they did do it in vfx like they they made sure they made it look mm-hmm. like it was practical mm-hmm. i guess uh it still had that yeah that kind of um, like messy look to it. The so. van. The van. That, yeah, that, uh, yeah. I think everyone that was, was like, so "Oh, cool. that was really awesome." Yeah. Uh, yeah, they did a really cool job with that one in particular. I think because nobody was really expecting for that to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Because as soon as they got in the van, I started the writer brain in me started being like, "Oh, 
like how how, how like it's always the walls are always moved like mm-hmm. how is this going to work mm-hmm. for them being in a and then the movie answered my question that was mm-hmm. a good job movie <laughs> <laughs> do we have any other thoughts that we wanted to talk about uh, with it? i think um the lead actor odessa uh, uh, Jiun, whatever, yeah. however that's pronounced. Yeah, uh, we looked them up earlier. Not really too many credits, but mm-hmm. um, I think they did a great job in mm-hmm. this. Um, and I am infinitely a fan of Jamie Clayton. I think he, Miller, you got me to watch Sensei, and it changed my life. So, yeah, I think Jamie and, yeah. Clayton made quite the impression with with a small amount of screen yes. time uh sure. not a small amount but not like very little dialogue it was a lot of like mm-hmm. just like eyes yep. and it's like amazing. body work um through his face acting through all that makeup mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so if this is going to continue as like a new era for this franchise i i feel like they could do a lot with her as hellraiser yeah, she's or as Pinhead, rather. Yeah. Sorry, she's great. I like her a lot. I did also really like the new Cenobites because they had Ch- Cheddar was you know yeah. is, yeah. is a staple, is iconic. But I don't, I don't remember like the, the breather. I think is what they called it. Um, yeah, the one that was like wheezing the whole right, time. Right, that had like yeah. lung issues or whatever. I don't remember them from the original franchise. Like at least not yeah. from the first two. Mm-hmm. Um. So I really like that they incorporated that. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but there were definitely people of color who were Cenobites. They I had, uh, had yes. an Asian person. Yep. They had a black mm-hmm. person. So they def- they definitely like diversified their cast. Well, and even the the like the Everyone. quote unquote victims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, half yeah. of that that what was her her brother's boyfriend. Oh, and thank Martino, God both the gay like, people didn't die. I know. I- we only lost one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, please don't kill both of the gay mm-hmm. people in this movie. <laughs> yeah. No, I think definitely uh if you're um a fan of the old ones or even uh if you've never seen them, I think this would be a good movie to watch, like just as it's Halloween standalone. Yeah, if you've got yeah. if you've gotten yeah. Hulu already, it's mm. included, so why not? Yeah. 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 And I think Maybe if you kids, if you've if oh definitely not with kids. The if you haven't seen the original ones and you enjoy this one, thematically it has a lot in common mm-hmm. with the the original films, and I think you should definitely go back and watch the uh-huh. originals. I think you'd enjoy them. Yeah. yeah. Just trigger warning: there's a lot of gore. So. Oh yeah. But that's just expected with any Hellraiser yeah. film. Yeah. But the first one in particular, those practical effects. Hmm. Yep. Very gruesome. <laughs> Lots of blood. Oh, yeah, a lot of yeah. playing of the skin. Yes. <laughs> Though I'm just thinking Frank coming back to oh, life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful practical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I think, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to no. say. Oh, no, it's good. Definitely met yeah. my expectations. Well, thank you, Michelle, for coming on the podcast for thank the first for time. Thank you for I knew that some point in October, and I, I needed to have you on here. And uh, Zach, thank you for coming back to the podcast. Uh, and yeah, thank you for listening to us discuss 
these two spooky watches. Uh, it, Halloween month has only just begun. <laughs> Alrighty, it is time for a segment that I lovingly call But Is She Gay? In this segment of Pop Culture Fate, I discuss how our weekly topic speaks to the queer condition. This week, Werewolf by Night and Hellraiser. But Is She Gay? So, first for Werewolf by Night, no, there's nothing like explicitly queer in terms of representation in the... Uh, Halloween special, but there's always something for, um, at least I find, that stories where characters transform or have another form hidden within them, those stories always really speak to the queer condition um, because it, it relates to what it's like being in the closet when 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 you were or if you are um, in the closet. And so having our main character be a werewolf and just having discussions of monsters in general, misunderstood monsters and all of that, um, I think those are all elements and themes that can connect to the queer experience for sure. For Hellraiser, yes, uh, two of our main characters are a um, gay couple, and their queerness is not, like, centric to the story. They're just a couple in the movie that happens to be uh, gay, and, um, yeah, I think, so there is, like, representation. Also know that Hellraiser as a franchise was created by Clive Barker, an out uh, gay man, and this franchise, the franchise of Hellraiser, has been um, a very um, kind of steeped in um, themes of sexuality and um, and vices and all of that since the beginning. So I definitely think there's a lot to connect with. Um, in the Hellraiser franchise for the queer community, for sure. And naturally, because the creator himself is queer. Moving into my weekly recommendations for this week, my reading recommendation uh, is actually, it's <laughs> going to be a little uh, different. My reading recommendation is actually because this is the book that my students just finished reading in class and I'll meet people who they just never had to read this book in high school or when they did read it in high school, they didn't really pay attention. My recommendation is to read Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. I think especially right now with everything going on politically um, in the country with book bans and uh, challenges and uh, curriculum changes and uh, edits and censorships. I think this book is relevant, sadly, uh, just as relevant as ever. 
And um, if you're if you appreciate literature in any kind of way, Bradbury has such wonderful prose. Uh, he's great with um, sensory description and using things like synesthesia to really hit on multiple senses in the book. So definitely a read that I feel like everybody should read at least once. Um, and if you didn't really pay attention to it in, when you read it in high school, I definitely recommend picking it back up and um, reading it now with adult eyes for sure. My TV recommendation is uh, a little bit different than usual too. Usually I recommend scripted content, but this week my TV recommendation is if that if you're looking for some good kind of more mindless TV, you're looking for some reality TV that isn't super contrived and, and trite, <laughs> then I definitely recommend both Survivor and Amazing Race. After all these years, these two reality shows are still uh, up there as some of the best competition shows on TV. They really know how to, um, like, they, they know how to put on a show, uh, both of them. And they're both airing right now on Wednesday night on CBS. But if you have um, Paramount Plus, they put the episodes on there the next day on Thursdays. And then my film recommendation this week is to watch the 2018 Halloween movie as well as uh, Halloween Kills, uh, which came out, I believe, last Halloween. And I recommend watching both of those this week before the end of this trilogy, Halloween Ends, comes out this Friday. It'll be coming out in theaters and on Peacock on Friday. Uh, so the the first of that trilogy, the 2018 Halloween, is awesome. Halloween Kills, a little less awesome, but still good. And so I am excited for the end to this trilogy for uh, Halloween Ends. Uh, and that concludes my weekly recommendations for this week. Alrighty, well, thank you for joining us today and talking about Werewolf by Night and Hellraiser. If you're listening and enjoying the podcast, please give it a review on your podcasting platform. If you leave a question in a five-star review, I will answer it next week on the podcast. Also, if you have a friend who would like the podcast, make sure to share it with them to help grow our little community here. Once again, I am Miller C. Lashbrook, and you can find me on Twitter at Mill C. Lashbrook, on Instagram at Miller C. Lashbrook, and for more Pop Culture Fay, you can head to our website, popculturefay.com, for blog posts and more content, including written reviews of a lot of the shows going on right now. If you would like to leave a voice message for the podcast or financially support the podcast, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash popculturefay. And everybody, I hope you have a great day, and I hope to find you the next time you wander into the forest.
with Pop Culture Fake.